Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. I'm so excited. Joining me now, calling in from Idaho, is the great Bing Copeland. Bing, thanks so much for getting up early to be with us. I'm so excited. Well, good morning to you, uh, Robbie. It's uh, Actually, it's an hour later here in Idaho, so I've had my breakfast and my coffee, and I'm ready to go. <laughs> Speaking of ready to go, Bing Copeland, where did the creativity come to call you Bing? I've never met anybody with that first name before. Where does that come from? Well, I was born uh, uh, Herbert Bingham Copeland III. My father was the the second. My grandfather was the first. So my middle name was Bingham. And when when I was two years old, babysitters didn't want to call me Herbie. So they shortened my middle name and called me Bing, and it's been that way ever since. Oh, my God. You know, our paths have crossed without crossing. So you know I sculpted marble in in the stone that Michelangelo used in his quarry, the same exact stone. And my studio is on 10th Street and Highland in Manhattan Beach. And you'll see blocks of stone out there right now if you were to walk there. And you grew up literally a block away, right? Exactly. Ninth and Highland. 814 <laughs> Highland, to be exact. <laughs> and here's another one. When you went to Waikiki and Honolulu in the late 50s, you lived on Lilio Kalani Street. Well, in 1983... When I went to Hawaii to work at Queens Hospital for the very first time, my fourth year of medical school, I did a rotation. I lived on Lilio Kalani Street. It's amazing that oh, I'm just so happy to be able to talk to you. Now, it was 19, 1955 when I went to, when I was there. Oh, my God. You know, I don't I don't really use the term often, but I'm going to the whole idea and why I'm so obsessed with Michelangelo, and when he used to go into the quarry and and pick the stone that he wanted to use. No other sculptor ever did this. His designation, when he would mark the block of stone he wanted, was he would draw three circles that interlock, kind of like how the Olympic signal, uh, signal is. And it meant, the three circles, he's in the guild for architect, for painter, and for sculptor. And when I think of you, you truly remind me of Michelangelo as a surfer, a shaper, and as an an artist. Is it not lost on you the metaphor of surfing for life, that the nose of the board is the future, the tail of the board is your past, and the surfer stands in the middle and learns to live in the moment? Tell me about the metaphor of surfing in life. (laughs) That's that's a long one. For me, for me, uh, surfing, uh, you know, I, I just started when I was 13, 14 years old. And uh, to, to get into the surfboard business was just a natural progression because I grew up around Dale Velzi, who basically was uh, one of the first board builders in California. Mm-hmm. And uh, I learned a lot from him. And it was uh, when I did come back, well, I, w- I went to Hawaii for for a couple of years to be in the Coast Guard, and then I sailed on a yacht for another year. But in 1959, I started my surfboard business. So it being in the ocean, being near the ocean, surfing was uh, all that I really wanted to do. And uh, my other option was probably to get a real job on the other side of Pacific Coast Highway, and I didn't want to go that far east. 
I'd love to ask you this one question, Bing Copeland, that I've always thought about, and it was told to me by a Hawaiian friend of mine. And tell me if this makes sense. He said, if you take a blank of the same, two blanks of the same height, and you build a board the same length, the same width, the same thickness, the same dimensions, and you then glass those two boards, you take them out in the ocean, they are going to ride slightly differently. Is that true? Well, yeah, it depends on the rails, the bottom contour and all that. Mm-hmm. Basically, the same, same length, same width, same thickness will probably float about the same, but they, they definitely won't ride the same if they, if they don't have the proper characteristics in the fin and the, and the rails and so forth. So, again, I'm going to use the Michelangelo metaphor with you being Copeland because I just think you are that great. <laughs> One of the rare moments in Michelangelo's life, his biographer visited him in, the, in his studio, and he didn't really let people into the studio, and they didn't suffer fools very well. The biographer, Vasari, said he watched him work feverishly, hitting the marble with such force, pieces three to four times the size of a typical sculptor came flying off the face, like critical air. If he makes one mistake, it's ruined. And Vasari said he blurted out, Michelangelo, how do you know when to stop? And Michelangelo turned to him and said, when you hit the skin. So I want to ask you, Bing Copeland, do you see the finished product when you begin with the skill saw shaping the blank? Can you get to the point where you see it before it even is taken off? Well, you definitely start with an idea in your mind that you want to achieve. And, uh, yeah, and you whittle away till you get to that vision that you had. As far as designing a, a new model or something like that, that, that would be the way. Just shaping generally, a shaper, you know, will have a certain model, and he wants to, and he wants to shape it the same every time. But it, to me, it's more fun to be uh, inventive uh, with new new designs and, and new shapes. That was what I enjoyed the most about shaping surfboards. Did, did you have a favorite part of the process of shaping the surfboard? Just seeing your vision come out in the end is what's important. Hmm. You know, you're one of the few people who made the transition. You know, you, you started your life. You know, Rebecca... Let's play the sound bite for, of Bing speaking. I would like to hear, now I have the person who's talking actually can almost editorialize what he's hearing. Let's play the sound bite for Bing. I remember I went out for baseball at Maricosta High School. Uh, went out for baseball <clears throat> and uh, I was left-handed. I wanted to be a first baseman. And about the fourth or fifth day of, of uh, tryouts and stuff, I remember looking up at the flag at the school and was blowing offshore at three o'clock in the afternoon. I, and I went, I gotta get out of here. <laughs> Uh, back to the beach and and yeah they definitely uh yeah we weren't look you know we, we we would run around barefoot all the time and let our hair grow a little too long and we we were not widely accepted in those days bing you remember that day when it called to you absolutely <laughs> absolutely yeah it was a hot day it was a santa, santa ana wind going uh, offshore and i knew my buddies were all surfing and the tide was right, and I was trying to be a first baseman and, and realized that I definitely wouldn't be first string. I would be sitting on the bench, so I'd rather be in the ocean. So uh, that was my choice. So I heard, I heard that and was just so impressed with how you knew immediately. Can you take me to the other extreme when you realized 
you weren't going to surf anymore towards the end when you were 75 and the last wave. You remember the first wave? You remember the last wave? I remember them both. Yes, I do. Very much so. The, the last wave, I was in Baja. I had a home in Baja at the time, which I just sold recently uh, last year, last uh, fall. And uh, I was surfing a little spot the, the, just south of our, our, our home in Baja. Uh, that was fun, fun little beach break spot. And at that point, at seventy-five, I I was having trouble getting to my feet. I couldn't I couldn't pop up like like you should. And uh, so consequently, if I if I couldn't get to my feet in time, I would I would just belly slide. And I was hmm. actually I was having a lot of fun belly sliding. Every wave <laughs> overhead, and it felt great. Uh, anyway, this one wave, I was just going going in towards the beach, and I and. Uh, I could, I could see I was getting close to the to the beach, and there were some rocks, and I thought, well, I better do a little island pullout, which is burying the nose of the board and spinning the tail around, and get out of the wave. And I tried to bury it, tried to bury it two or three times. It didn't go, didn't go. Finally, I washed up on the beach, and it broke the nose off the board, and uh, I just said to myself, this is it. I'm, I'm, I'm done. Mm. That was my last wave. And I don't regret it. I honestly don't. I've talked to several friends, uh, Hap Jacobs, uh, John McFarland, guys that are older, a little older than me, that also hung it up at one time or another. And, and they just said, well, I quit when it just wasn't fun anymore. Hmm. And uh, and it's not only that, but but you know you start having some physical limitations that keep you from being agile enough to jump to your feet and, and turn and have fun on the board. And and it's you know you just realize it's time. Uh, it's time. I, I do t- I do talk to some guys. I call them younger guys, the guys in their fifties and sixties, and tell them this story, you know, about how I quit and why I quit and stuff. And they go, oh, I'm never going to quit. <laughs> until I die, and uh, I know better. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, can you hang on the line a second? I want to talk to you about the mountains versus the ocean and the whole new life you have, but then you were reborn again and what that was like. Can you just hang on a second? We're just going to pay some bills and get back to the interview. Sure. sure okay, no I love it. We're talking to the great Bing Copeland, a Mount Rushmore icon in the world of surfing and shaping surfboards. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN.